Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Paid leave is really good, both for individual level health outcomes, for workforce participation for women, and for kind of economic contribution and stability over time. I'm Allie Wolf, an Emmy-winning journalist and mom. I love interviewing women and experts who inspire us to create fulfilling lives and careers while embracing the messy and beautiful reality of being a mom. This is the Mom's Calling Podcast. Welcome back to Mom's Calling. I am really excited to bring you this episode today because my guest and I discuss a really important topic. It's one that I don't think is talked about enough, maternity leave and paid family leave. So honestly, one of the reasons I felt a strong urge and was inspired to start this podcast was because I personally found the transition into motherhood to be really challenging. It was really hard for me to wrap my head around how I could care for and feed a new baby while also resting because you're sleep deprived and then also pursuing my career and my passions with the same level of ambition and the same work ethic that I had for so many years. And what I've learned through all these episodes that I've done so far and these incredible conversations on and off the mic really is I realize most of us feel the same way to a certain extent. Of course, our lives are different, but there is this universal feeling that it's hard, plain and simple. So let's get to the facts. As you heard in the preview, research has shown what we all know to be true. There are real benefits to taking a leave, taking a break after having a child, and ideally having it be paid. However, we also know the U.S. currently has no federal paid leave policy. That means it's up to either the state or your employer to provide these benefits. Now, without being political, I find it hard to believe and honestly kind of baffling that there is nothing in place to help mothers and fathers, any parent figure in that transition period of bringing a baby home, getting to know that baby and adjusting. I can go on and on, but my guest is a pro who really explains this so well, much better than I can. So let me introduce her. Ariana Tabawada is a maternal health researcher, author and owner of a consulting firm that helps female founders intelligently design maternity leave plans that meet their business model and their personal needs. Ariana's book is titled The Expecting Entrepreneur, a guide to parental leave planning for self-employed business owners. She started offering parental leave planning in 2015, and it was around that time that she actually needed her own services because she had her first child. We begin this conversation talking about Ariana's personal experience navigating motherhood as an entrepreneur. Enjoy. I essentially created a client slot for myself. <laughs> and so as someone who was self-employed and pregnant, and that was the exact population I worked with, I basically took myself through the entire process that I use with clients and you know everything from the business operations side to the financial planning side to the very detailed personal postpartum health side and like many clients you know my my plan did not go exactly as i had planned <laughs> and there mm-hmm. were many twists and turns um and i think that that has been a continuing trend throughout my parenting <laughs> journey <laughs> Such a lesson, especially if you are a planner, it throws you, <laughs> throws you for a loop. So did you take uh, a leave? Did you carve out a leave for yourself or did you find that challenging actually living through it yourself? 
I did take a leave and I think my kind of approach in, in general and working with people and in working with myself is that a leave is important and it might not look like other people's leaves. So it might not look like a kind of 12 weeks completely off of work that some people uh, working in a corporate environment might, might be framing their leave around. Um, and so I had structured it as I wanted to have some weeks completely off and and a very slow transition back. And I ended up having a relatively short amount of time being totally off. So about six weeks. And then I started working like four hours a week. <laughs> so very small. And it really slowly and incrementally went up from there. And it took me about a full year to get back to what um, was my new definition of full-time, which was about 30 hours a week. That is a real gift to be able to ease in like that. Um, so kind of zooming out, I would love to talk about why parental leave and maternal leave is important. What are the benefits? I guess there's multiple factors, you know, for health and for society. Yeah. So I think one kind of foundational thing to, to frame up this particular question is the reality that the U.S. is one of the only places that doesn't have a federal paid leave policy. So um, most high-income countries, most countries in general, have a sense of, um, of this transition being really important, like you said, for health, but also for community and kind of economic well-being. And so having a federal level um, policy that supports that often is a key part of supporting individuals, supporting families, supporting communities. And so when we think about the reality that there isn't that safety net, um, it creates a lot of friction for people who have to figure it out on their own. Yeah, I know you are politically involved. So I just love to hear your thoughts on number one, people are baffled. Like, how is this the case in the United States that we do not have a policy and it's up to the company or I guess the state and kind of the reper repercussions of that? Like you mentioned just now, we don't have a federal policy. And so employers, the two mechanisms that parental leave operates in this in the US is that employers oftentimes choose to use it as a kind of employee retention or even employee attraction strategy. Um, and so you often find that um, large companies, companies that really have a robust kind of HR and benefits infrastructure um, will have a pretty robust paid leave. And, and states have, in the absence of a federal policy, some states have opted to create their own programs. And so um, at the time of of this recording and airing, um, there's nine states and DC that have some kind of paid leave policy that covers bonding with a new child, either through birth or adoption, and that's Rhode Island, California, uh, New Jersey, New York, DC, uh, Washington, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Oregon, and Colorado. And some of these programs are newer and some of them have been established. California's is one of the oldest. And, and what we've seen from the data and the studies that have come out of these paid leave programs, um, in addition to kind of the global body of work around paid leave, is that paid leave is really good, both for individual level health outcomes, for workforce participation for women, and for kind of economic contribution and stability over time of both families and countries. Um, and so there are a lot of benefits to having paid leave at state levels, at federal levels, 
and and a lot of people often ask, well, how do you how do you pay for that? And it's actually, you know, there are if you think about the amount of countries that have implemented it, there are some really feasible and viable ways to do so. So I always like to give the kind of the example of, you know, it's like social security, something you pay into a small amount over time so that when you need the benefit, um, you can take it. And oftentimes a paid leave benefit can cover not just birth, um, but can cover something like recovering from a surgery or taking time off to care for a basic family member. Um, and so we're, we're kind of providing a broad definition of leave and a broad definition of, of family and caregiving. So I want to back up because you mentioned the benefits. And I think this is something that a lot of people are not that educated on. And like, what is the benefit to the company on the company side of things. Cause I think we all know bonding with the baby, getting a chance to try to breastfeed, you know, all of those benefits for the family. But what about the other side? Because I think the reason I ask is because a lot of uh, people may feel that there's this stigma if you're a mother and you're going to take time off and then have this child to take care of. So um, what are the benefits that are the flip side of that? Yeah. So in terms of workplace retention, if we start with the reality that it is that employee turnover is costly, it costs a lot to kind of temporary fill a role that that where the work still needs to be done. It costs a lot to if you have an external recruiting company doing the recruiting, um, if you have staff time dedicated to to interviewing and onboarding. So the estimate is around like 50% of the salary is typically what it costs to recruit a new role. Um, and, and that is often much more than it costs to cover wages for, for a parental, for a leave of absence. And it also costs less than the time it takes to onboard a new person and get someone into their role. So many organizations have quite literally just done the math on what it takes, you know, to recruit, onboard, train, um, compared to what it takes to cover paid leave and then support people in returning to their role. Companies that, that are driven by the bottom line and also have folks' best interests at heart, and even, even companies that are just driven by the bottom line, um, it makes sense financially to offer paid leave. Yeah. And since we talked about, you know, the lack of this federal paid leave, you're in the Bay Area. I used to be there. I know people who work at these big tech companies, like companies like you mentioned, and they offer great leave. They offer, I know even both parents will get four months. So do you feel hopeful that a lot of these big companies, especially these big tech companies are offering such nice leave packages, which is obviously enticing if you're, um, if you're going to try to get a job at one of those places, but do you feel hopeful that that could lead the way to trickle down to smaller companies or even lead to change in government? Yeah. So, um, actually I'll, I'll quote someone, Katie Bessel, who founded, uh, plus paid leave US, which is kind of the, the only advocacy organization in the US dedicated completely to paid leave. She has this great, and I'm paraphrasing, but she has this great approach, which basically says government often follows business. And so the things that large companies take the lead on and implement first, oftentimes government will follow those trends. And so I think it is promising to see um, companies 
offering paid leave, offering gender neutral policies, meaning that it's not just someone who gives birth that has access to paid leave, but any, any parent, regardless of how the child comes into your life, um, has time for that bonding. And if you are the birthing person, has time for that postpartum recovery. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I think it is really exciting. And, and again, some of the polling that's going on around paid leave is that both small and large businesses are supportive of a federal policy um, because it it honestly makes makes them be able to focus on on doing the work that um, that is in front of them and provide some scaffolding for supporting their employees through these major life transitions. Do you think we'll see a change on the federal level soon, or do you think there's more hope that the rest of the states? get some sort of a policy like, you know, these states like California that I think has really led the way on it. Yeah, I think I am an eternal optimist. So I will say, yes, I think it is hopeful um, because there is a lot of advocacy going on. It's pretty easy to send an email to your representative for paid leave and to, you know, show your support just in talking about the right to paid leave. Um, and I think there was a big moment uh, of kind of reckoning when Paley was built into Build Back Better and then was slowly kind of stripped away. And there was a lot of disappointment from, from parents, from families, from, you know, advocates um, that Paley was not passed in this most recent bill. But I think that doesn't stop people's, that doesn't stop the need or stop people's passion around making sure that, um, that folks have access to this. Yeah, I definitely think it's it's part of the conversation and it's something that comes up and hopefully hopefully change is made soon. So with that, I want to talk about this reality that say you gave birth, you take some time off, whether it's five weeks or five months, a lot of parents, a lot of women feel that they want to make a change. And I've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast who have pivoted after they went through leave, they were working for a corporate job, and then you just change, you know, when you have this new life that you're taking care of. And so what does looking, going back and planning to go back look like for different people? And how do you recommend you go about that process? Because I think it can be really difficult to predict how you'll feel. Yeah. So I think you're getting at a great point that the transition to parenthood and the transition back to work is not just like a logistics game. There's also this deeply personal kind of emotional identity related shift that happens, especially for people who big piece of their identity is work-related, that can be pretty disarming. Like it's this, mm -hmm. it's this moment where you have to integrate your new identity into your previous identity and it's hard to make sense of it all. And um, there's a couple kind of mindset things that I'll offer. And then we can also get into some logistics. <laughs> First is to really honor it as a transition and knowing that, you know, just because from one day to the next, you become a parent does not mean at all that your identity is solidified from one day to the next. And so to really honor that, yes, there are a lot of changes in your role and uh, your identity and rightfully so your emotions about all of that. And so to make space for that transition. And the second is to approach, especially the transition back to work with kind of a spirit of experimentation and curiosity. So it's, it's a brand new role, being a parent, being a working parent, <laughs> being a stay at home parent, it's all brand new. And so 
giving yourself again, that time and space to try something out. And if it doesn't work to pivot or tweak it and knowing that it might take a couple iterations of trying out different things, whether it's, you know, trying out sleep routine or a daycare routine or trying out your own, your own new schedule or your own um, kind of approach to what your day looks like. Um, and being able to recognize when something's not working and naming it and being okay with trying something else. Okay, before we continue with the show, I want to talk a little about Noom. Noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health for good through a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on their platform to help millions of users meet their personal health and wellness goals. A lot of people face pressure to change themselves to fit other people's expectations, and the more freeing solution is to find things that work for you. Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique and what works for someone else doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for you. That's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible and focuses on progress, not perfection, allowing you to work toward goals at a pace that's comfortable for you. Noom Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track. Personalized lessons help you gain confidence and practical knowledge. One-on-one coaching and a cognitive behavioral approach teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. 75% of Noom Weight users finish the program and more than 60% that engage with the program kept the weight off for a year or more. So start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at Noom.com slash believe. That's Noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash believe, B-L-E-A-V. Yeah, I really like that mindset because I think it's, it really shocked me. And I think a lot of people uh, grapple with this of, oh my gosh, you know, all of a sudden I have this new identity, this new title that immediately gets bumped up above so many other things in your life, but it's hard to kind of fit it all together and to kind of find yourself again. And I think work is a huge part of that. I think that's a good way to think about it. So I want to kind of shift and I want to talk about your book because you wrote a book on this, which is so cool. I want you to just tell us about the book that it's a great title, by the way, expecting entrepreneur. How did this come about? What, what inspired you and made you feel like this needs to be out there? Because I think it's so useful. Sure. So thanks for, thanks for giving the book a plug. Like you said, it's called the expecting entrepreneur, a guide to parental leave planning for self-employed business owners. And it really came about because I was doing the work in this one-on-one capacity and seeing what a lot of people were doing across industries and business models in terms of planning for their leave, both on the business side and what the, what the personal intersections were, because in planning for leave, especially when you own the business and you know, a lot of people feel like it's their first baby, there are some definite ways that um, planning on the personal side has to be integrated. And, and because I worked just as a solo owner operator, you can only see so many clients in the span of a week or a month or a year. Um, and so I wanted to be able to provide um, more resources for people who, uh, who were in that situation um, and, you know, didn't necessarily want to work with someone or have the resources to work with someone. Um, and we know that that businesses and women-owned businesses are growing exponentially. And so knowing that just demographically, some of these business owners are going to be starting families. Um, and so the book kind of walks through 
the approach that um, that I've been using for close to a decade now with um, with clients to plan for operations, financials, client communications. If you're in a client serving business, uh, as well as kind of the the postpartum health, mental health, and return to work side of things. Yeah, and we didn't really talk about you know your specialty, which is on women who work for themselves, either they're entrepreneurs or they own their own businesses. So what are the particular challenges? You know, what do you see in your work as those big challenges and things that are really tough to, to face? So I think the first thing that folks who are self-employed often come up against is the reality that there, there isn't like a policy or there isn't an HR person that you go to and say, Hey, can you walk me through what, what the leave process here looks like? Like that is you, you can look in the mirror and ask yourself that question. And so people really struggle with figuring out, can I even take leave? What does that look like for me? Is it possible for me? Um, like I mentioned at the beginning, I, I am an advocate for saying, yes, you deserve leave. <laughs> Um, and especially with someone who um, is an owner and therefore wants the biggest asset in their business. A lot of the business doing well depends on their ability to be healthy and show up and be at their best. Um, and so, yes, you can take leave and it looks might look different <laughs> than some of the things that you alluded to are definitely around the day-to-day -day kind of operating of the business um, and kind of reverse engineering what they would like their leave to look like and what has to happen on the business side, both from operations and financial standpoint, and also on the personal side to prepare for that. Is there a general one-size-fits-all approach or is this something that is really specific to the individual or maybe the type of role they have? Yeah, so I will say that People do tend to take really different approaches. Like some people who are maybe in an early business building stage have said, you know what, I don't, I don't think I could go out more than like three or four weeks <laughs> and in that like completely off mode. And some people are like, Hey, I've been running this business for 10 years and I have a full team and I know I want to take like eight to 10 months. And so it's a really wide range of what people are able to implement. And it also it is impacted by what state you're in and whether the state you're in offers paid leave and um, whether those benefits extend to self-employed people. And so there's a, there's a pretty wide range. I think a lot of people have in their mind this like 12 weeks from a corporate narrative. And so people are often thinking about like, can I, can I reach 12 weeks or can I go beyond 12 weeks? And so it's interesting to just notice how people tend to have that amount in time, which is a total arbitrary number, right. by the way, it's like not based in any evidence, but is what, what was implemented back in 1993. Is there evidence that you know of? I mean, is there evidence for, you know, how much time is the right amount of time? Cause it's just, there's so much across the board, different countries, different companies, different states. I don't know. What have you seen on that? Is there anything out there that's concrete? I guess maybe we would have known already, but. Yeah. So the evidence we have from the studies that have looked across the globe um, at uh, paid leave and considered both um, health outcomes and kind of cost benefit analysis have landed around six months. So six months is the amount of time where some of the things you mentioned earlier, bonding, establishing breastfeeding, um, child health outcomes, parental health outcomes, mental health, um, six months is shows really great outcomes on the health front. And six months also um, tends to be where you start seeing that from the employer side or the government side, retention and participation in workforce is still 
still really strong. So, you know, the U.S. doesn't doesn't come anywhere near that. When people hear six months, a lot of people just first reaction is that's impossible. How could you, how could you do that? Meanwhile, our like friends across the pond are like six months, of course, six months. Um, But, and so I think planning within what's realistic for you is also an important thing. Like it might, let's say the scenario is three weeks. Like what, what support during those three weeks can you have for your postpartum health? Um, what support can you have even when you return to work in the business um, or otherwise so that it is, you are not running on empty. Um, and so really figuring out what are, what are the puzzle pieces that I have to play with here? Because I think it can be empowering to think about, okay, even within the context of I am doing this on my own, what, what are the supports or what are the resources that I can draw on? And as opposed to the flip side of just feeling like you have no options, which is really frustrating. Yeah, no, I love that you bring up all those other things because while this is about taking leave from work, whatever your work is, there's also so many other factors. Like you have to do your laundry, you have to clean up around the house and all these things take time out of your day. And it's, I mean, time just becomes so important. So I know you have some kind of postpartum planning. I think I saw it on your website. Can you just take us through a little summary of some of the questions that, you know, we should be asking ourselves maybe during pregnancy as you're getting ready for um, this process and how to, how to manage it all when maybe you don't have that village in place right now. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite topics to talk about is kind of postpartum support network mapping. (laughs) Um, And I mean, the, the concept is relatively simple. It's figuring out like, what support do I need and how do I get it? <laughs> and so I, um, I use a tool um, and again, we can link to it. It's, you mentioned the, the workbook, which is just a free download, but um, I use a tool called an eco map, which is a, a map that you literally draw on to map out what are the levels of support you have. And you can also use that visual to once you draw out the levels of support, Um, get a really clear visual of where are there gaps in support and where might you need to look into additional resources. And so if you kind of imagine a concentric concentric circle, so small circles within larger circles within a big circle, um, it, it starts with you in the middle and mapping out kind of the most immediate support around you doing things that you mentioned. So who are the people around me that could literally bring food or do laundry or take my dog for a walk? And then it goes out a little wider to thinking about community support. Where are the new parent support groups? Where is there a a kind of infant play group that I could join who is in my kind of extended um, neighborhood or community that I could uh, make asks of or who has offered to help. And then there's a larger kind of professional supports network, which is a lot of where things like a lactation consultant or a pelvic floor PT might come up. Um, So anticipating some of those, some of those needs that not everyone has or, or will have, but when you, if you find that you do need them, it's great to have those resources readily available. Yeah. I think that's so good to think of ahead of time because 
these are all possibilities, but you don't know how your baby's going to be and maybe any issues you're going to have or they're going to have. So yeah, you can never be too prepared. And then part of that is, is childcare, which I know is its own issue politically and just for parents. So do you have tips for parents in trying to figure that out? Because I know that is such a big stress and burden for a lot of parents in trying to figure out, you know, what their needs are and, um, it's sort of like a shifting need too, because it changes over time. Totally. The kind of principle of uh, curiosity and experimentation totally applies here, depending on what kind of baby you have and what your, what your work situation and hours looks like over time. Um, and so again, the, the context from kind of a systems perspective is that, um, is that we don't have a childcare infrastructure in this, in the U S in the way that many, um, other people uh, in other countries do, where it's just like, if you have a baby, there is there is a variety of daycare options that you have a slot for, and oftentimes it's subsidized um, by the government. And so here we're talking about, you are trying to figure out what's, uh, it's, it's kind of like the perfect storm of like, what's in your budget, what's in your area, what has openings, and what what um, age will they accept? And so infant slots can be some of the hardest to find. Um, but in general, there you have a couple options. There's um, in-home care. Uh, so that can often look like a nanny um, or a nanny share. Um, in-home care could also be um, when there's kind of a, a relative that is willing to provide in-home care for you. Um, and as you can imagine, the, the finances range on that depending on location and, and the setup and hours. Um, and then there's also centers. Um, and some of those will are like multi-year centers that have infant slots. So a couple strategies that I can offer is that in many places, um, there are what's called childcare deserts. And so there isn't enough care to, um, for the amount of babies that are being born and young children. And so a lot of people start looking at daycares in pregnancy, which sounds crazy sometimes, but, uh, but if you live in a childcare desert is kind of the norm you'll hear of people getting on wait lists, um, you know, as soon as they find out they're pregnant. Um, and you might not know at that point what kind of care you will need. Um, and I think particularly with people who are going back to, to work, um, Planning on like when you transition into childcare can be um, important because I think if you can imagine like sounds like an incredibly stressful situation for the first day that your child goes to daycare to also be the first day that you go back to work. So again, that yes. transition period of like letting them get used to it and maybe having a shorter day for the first few days. Um, that's also something that I highly recommend. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's just such a complicated thing. I think just like everyone's leave is going to look different. Everyone's childcare is going to look different. And I think just the lack of a formal structure in place, it can be really hard to navigate, but, um, again, pre-planning, I think is the answer. Um, once again, so we've just been through this pandemic and work has really shifted and what work looks like has shifted for really all industries and business types. What are your thoughts? Obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but do you think this is going to be a permanent shift in what work looks like and maybe enabling that gradual easing in back to work? I know a lot of companies are offering hybrid, or if you have your own company, maybe you do some work from home days where you're totally virtual. Are you already seeing some changes or do you think this is permanent? Do you think things are 
going to just snap right back. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there has been this tidal wave of uh, realizing that family friendly workplaces and family broadly defined is um, our that is not going to go away. Like, I think the reality of like quite literally seeing people's family behind them (laughs) while they're trying to do their work has really shifted the the public narrative. And it has also made it so that there, you know, there was this trend at a lot of workplaces of, you know, people having to show up and work as if worker was their only identity. (laughs) And now when we literally can't, split that identity. Like you see that people are caregivers or parents or caring for elderly people or have pets or just have mental health needs of their own. Um, And so I think that just knowledge of being whole humans, even while we are at work, it has um, been an important shift and hopefully will impact workplace culture for for many decades to come. And, you know, the whole field of the future of work, as it's called, is really interesting. Yeah, I'm really curious to see what happens as well, because it definitely shook things up. And with homeschooling and all of that, it really got complicated for a lot of families. Okay, well, we just covered so much. And I want to get to some lighter hearted topics at the end. So I love to ask the best and worst advice that you've heard. So best advice, I think I will always remember um, my midwife telling me like, okay, you got to leave your house now. You got to like go out there and make some mom friends. And I was very much in my like little postpartum bubble, but she was able to recognize that community was going to be really important. And so um, I can literally hear her voice in my head (laughs) still, uh, even nearly six years later. Um, So that has been fantastic advice and, you know, support seeking is something that I continue to do for myself and encourage others to do. I think the worst advice honestly has been from family members. And I think people just, you know, expect that you will carry on whatever traditions or child rearing perspectives that have been held and maybe for multiple generations. And, uh, and I have definitely had some very clear realizations that like, that's just not going to work for me or my family or my kid. (laughs) Okay. So now I'm going to ask for your favorite resources, and this can be on topic. I know you talked about some ways to get involved about, um, paid leave and it could also be your resources. So what are your favorite resources if people want to read more or find out more about this issue? Sure. So if you are in the situation of being pregnant and a business owner or or know someone who is, um, please do check out the book. You can um, check it out at the book website, which is just the expectingentrepreneur.com. And we can, I'm sure we can link to that in the show notes. And then for those who are interested in um, getting involved and this can be like, something you can do without having much time at all um, in in paid leave advocacy, I highly recommend visiting Plus's website. So paid leave for the US and they have that form where it makes it really easy to simply email your representative um, and continue to ask for paid leave. Okay, awesome. And now I just want to ask you the question that my previous guest had for you. What is the craziest criticism that you ever received from somebody from a stranger? So I think one time I was walking down the street with my kid and like waving at a neighbor or something. And they just felt the need to be like, 
uh, I think my kid was like running or skipping a few, you know, a few, not like blocks ahead of me. He was three at the time. Um, but you know, maybe six feet ahead of me and, and the neighbor just started like going off and I was chasing after my kids. So I didn't hear them after a while, but they were just talk, talk, talking about how my kids shouldn't be, you know, walking ahead of me or should be holding my hand at all times or should be, you know, following me. Um, and I was just like, sit down and let me continue my walk. (laughs) You're like, you're just going to hold me up. Um, that's so funny. Okay. So now I just want to, at the end, just let us know how people can get in touch with you. Maybe if they want to work with you or just find you on social media. So the best way to learn about working together, which right now I primarily have the book and speak with groups um, or organizations about. Thanks uh, for listening. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions, I want to hear from you. Send me an email to momscallingpod at gmail.com. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review this podcast. See you next week for another episode of Mom's Calling on the Believe Network. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so interesting and informative. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.